Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Welcome to this week's episode of The Working Therapist. I'm your host, Hayden Bullock, and today we are continuing our podcast on infant feeding. Last time we went through all the whole stage of the swallow and the anatomy and basically what's normal anatomy, full-term baby born with a fully developed central nervous system, normal anatomy, and what happens. And so what we learned was this in a nutshell. Here's the bottom line up front, like I like to say. Basically, the normal baby born with big, huge fat pads, those help create stability for overall feeding. Also, the tongue forms on the nipple forms a central groove, and the tongue goes up and forward, and the tongue tip goes to the alveolar ridge, which is behind what later will be the front teeth, but anyway, the alveolar ridge. That creates pressure and positive pressure, and then the tongue drops back and down with the jaw, and that creates negative pressure, and that's just a normal suck. That's how that works, and that's part of normal feeding. So the cheeks provide stability, and then the central grooving of the tongue, the up and forward move of the tongue, and the drop back and down of the tongue and jaw. And we learned about the lips, that they're pretty passive. They don't do a lot. They just close around the nipple. They don't let any liquid come out. But that's really what we learned there. We also learned that the baby protects themselves during the swallow. They're sort of set up for natural safety because the trachea is up and forward positioned. And so we learned that during the swallow, the epiglottis closes down over the airway and they've got the piriform of the molecular sinuses there that can pull liquid, but really that's not normal. In a normal swallow, there is no pooling in either the piriform or molecular sinuses, but they're there. The babies were set up for normal swallowing and safe swallowing. We learned that as the baby grows, they start to lose that fat pad material, and that allows more room in the oral cavity for the tongue to start to move laterally. And it also allows for the tongue and jaw there to get to be a little bit of separation and movement. And the jaw at this point starts to develop a lot more strength so that there can be tongue movement isolated from the jaw. So the tongue and jaw don't always move as a unit. And then as the baby ages, 8, 9, 10, 12 months, then that sort of sets the baby up for spoon feeding. So that was quick in a nutshell. But for more detail, you can go back and listen to the last podcast, and we talk about all that more in detail. We also talk about respiration and normal respiration and airflow. And then the other thing we talked about that I should mention real quickly is a normal suck-swallow breathe pattern. And in an infant, for nutritive sucking, it's one-to-one-to-one or one-to-one-to-three, meaning suck-swallow-breathe. So one suck, one swallow, one breath. And then as the baby ages, one suck, one swallow, to three breaths. Somewhere in that range is normal. So we talked about that. We also talked about non-nutritive sucking and how that can be a long suck burst followed by a a long, about the same amount of time, breath or pause. But non-nutritive sucking is different than nutritive sucking. And like I said, you can go back and listen to the last podcast and it talks a lot more about all of those. That's just the recap. Now though, today we are going to talk about 
assessment and treatment. So the first thing you've got to do is when you walk in to a room and a baby is having trouble eating or you're called in for a referral or you get a referral for infant feeding and the baby's not eating, you have to do an assessment. So there's some different tools that you can use besides your own eyes and ears, but don't ever forget an assessment. I say this a lot. Don't forget that you're your best assessment tool. Your observation skills are your best assessment tool and what's happening. So don't get too quickly zoned in on the baby and the lips and the cheeks and the tongue and the jaw that you don't forget to take in the whole situation. So first thing, when you're walking in, you're assessing, you need to look at the whole situation. How the mom, the dad, the caregiver, who's feeding the baby, how they're positioning the baby to be fed, what does the baby look like beforehand for feeding, during the feeding and after the feeding, and I'm getting ready to get into that. But one of the things you can also use is a standardized assessment, or mm, it's not standardized like the preschool language scale standardized, but it's more of a formal assessment. And one of the ones that I like to use is the NOMAS, the Neonatal Oral Motor Assessment Scale, and this was developed by Marjorie Meyer Palmer out of California, and there's a whole class that you can take related to this, but it's a great tool that helps you identify normal versus disorganized versus dysfunctional. And it's very important to figure out if this baby is a normal feeding baby, a disorganized infant for feeding, or a dysfunctional infant for feeding. There's important those distinctions. And one thing the NOMAS does, and that you should also look at, so if you haven't been to the NOMAS training, but you want to look at the baby for assessment, you have to look at the jaw and the tongue, because those are the two most important things. Like we said last week, the lips are pretty passive, and the cheeks are just there, big fat pads to provide support. But the jaw and the tongue are the two main things. And so you look at the jaw for normal, disorganized, and dysfunctional, and the tongue for normal, organized, and functional. So what we really need to think about first is disorganized versus dysfunctional. So disorganized feeder is a baby who lacks rhythm in the total sucking activity, but their oral motor function is normal. So let me just say that again. Disorganized means that the baby sort of lacks rhythm and sucking overall. So their normal suck, swallow, breathe, that ratio one to one to one is not right. They're completely disorganized. So that they might have a long suck pattern and they're not taking breaths correctly or a long suck pattern without swallowing when they should. But basically, their oral motor function is normal. That's disorganized. So the first thing you look at is this, the jaw. Like I said, jaw and tongue. So looking at the jaw, you want to look at how much the jaw is moving. You want to look to see if the jaw excursions, the jaw movement, are consistent or inconsistent. Or is that baby sometimes opening their jaw all like really wide and then other times barely opening their jaw? Or are they clenching their jaw all the time? A lot of times the baby, when they're sucking, they'll go, you'll hear a lot of where they're losing pressure on the nipple. Not normal sucking on the nipple, but you'll hear like a chomping sound. Basically like they're opening and closing, opening and closing their mouth. That's abnormal, and that means that the jaw excursions are not a normal pace, normal rhythm, because they should be moving the jaw about the same amount every single time for sucking. Same amount of movement, open and closing, same amount of rhythm, and it should be in a rhythm pattern. So first thing is inconsistent jaw excursions. Second is arrhythmical jaw, meaning there's a wide variation in terms of the number of sucks per burst. So they sometimes could be doing one suck per sucking burst, or sometimes they could be doing four, five, six, seven. So you want to count. So when the baby's eating, you want to count how many times they move in that jaw. One, two, three. You, that's, you just sit there and count before they take a breath. 
that's disorganized. Difficulty initiating the movements, meaning they're kind of like groping on the nipple. You put the nipple in their mouth, their mouth is open, and they're not really closing on the nipple and sort of know what to do and get started. So difficulty initiating might be something. Also, an immature suck, meaning they're not really getting anything out of the nipple, and they're past 40 weeks. So a premature baby may look very immature in terms of an efficient amount that they're pulling out of the nipple, an efficient rate in what they're taking that liquid in, but that may just be a lack of strength you know, and a lack of stamina. And we're going to talk more about that in just a second versus a baby who's over 40 weeks who is not getting enough liquid out of the bottle. So if it takes them a long time, say like 45 minutes to an hour to finish the bottle feeding and they're sucking the whole time, then that's potentially disorganized feeding. Their suck is inefficient or weak or they're not getting enough and they're over 40 weeks. They're not like a premature baby who's just started eating. You wouldn't want a premature baby who just started eating to also eat for an hour either. But Again, we'll talk more about that. There's different issues with that. So you want to look at that situation. Now, disorganized tongue. Disorganized tongue, if you see the tongue past the lips. So if you see the tongue at all when a baby's eating, that's not right. That's an automatic red flag and write that down. Arrhythmical movements, again, meaning that the suck is not a normal suck, swallow, breathe pattern so that there's maybe too much. So the sucking, there's too many suck bursts. That's disorganized. Maybe they can't keep the suck going for a full two, three, four, five minutes. So it could be getting tired. You need to look at that. You may look at the respiration pattern. So if they don't have the lung capacity or the strength, whatever, to keep on nippling and to keep a suck pattern going, that's what you need to look at for that too. And then also just in coordination of the suck, swallow, and breathe and respirations. So again, a long suck burst before they take a breath, that's disorganized. So when you're seeing a baby who you think might be uncoordinated or disorganized, you'll see some things like nasal flaring, when the nose starts to spread out, grunting, like a lot of grunting in the feeding. When you're watching their little tummies and their rib cage, you see a lot of extra rib cage movement, like they're really trying hard, the respirations are really working hard to keep up with that feeding, a lot of maybe strider or wheezing losing liquid out of the oral cavity. Sometimes you'll see like liquid like almost shooting out of the oral cavity. That's a disorganized baby. And then a lot of extra movements like of the hands, feet, body. And I'm talking like this is a new baby, new, new, new baby. New babies, when they eat, they don't move much. Like they're serious all about some eating. I'm not talking like a six-month-old, a seven or eight-month-old who've been doing this for a while. I'm talking about a brand new, new baby. You see a brand new, new baby eat and their body is very still and they are focused on eating and that's really what they're doing. And that's it. There's not any kind of extra movement. But I'll see a lot, almost like the baby's kind of trying to avoid eating. Like they want to eat, but you see all this extra movement. Like they, I tell you, like babies are smart. Like they know something's kind of not right. And so they're just a lot of moving. So like I said last time, you really need to know what normal is. And so if you don't have exposure to normal babies eating, go to a daycare volunteer, go to a church nursery and volunteer, but feed babies. Go to your next door neighbor's house, do what you got to do and feed babies so that you understand that all this extra movement, when you see that happening, that that's automatically what I would like to call a red flag. So now we need to talk about dysfunctional. So let's start with the jaw again. Dysfunctional and the jaw would be with wide, wide jaw excursions all the time. So not varied, meaning like sometimes they're correct and the jaw excursions are right and sometimes they're really wide or sometimes there's clenching in the jaw, but they're always a wide jaw 
dog excursion. These babies sound really loud all the time. They're not efficient eaters either. They are munching, 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 munching. On, that's why I call munching on the nipple. But they're not getting a lot out, and they sound really loud, and you hear a lot of, like, smacking chomping noises on the nipple. Another dysfunctional thing is where there's no movement at all. You put the nipple in and they're not doing anything. Also, maybe a lack of rate change is a problem too. Like when the baby's eating, they kind of do the same thing throughout the feeding. So as they get more full, as they start to get a little sleepy, you still see the same pattern like all the time. So they're not changing as the feeding and as their bodies are changing, as they're getting more full or less full or they're hungrier or not as hungry, you don't really see a change. That's more dysfunctional. Also, if you see like a symmetry in the jaw, meaning one side of the jaw is moving more than the other or there's lateral movement in the jaw, that could be all dysfunctional. Now we move to tongue dysfunctional tongue. Flaccid, meaning there's no movement, there's no central grooving, there's no anterior, posterior movement in the tongue at all. If the tongue is retracted and humped back in the oral cavity, that's abnormal. If there's asymmetry, meaning one side of the tongue, usually you can see this by sort of some lateral tongue deviation because the stronger side, maybe the side where there's more muscle tone, will push the weaker side over. So the baby's tongue always looks like it's pushed to one side, and the weaker side is usually the side that's being pushed to because the stronger side is overpowering the weaker side. Or, like I said, flaccid tongue means also just absence of movement. That's all just abnormal because, remember, Eating at first is reflexive. Sucking, swallowing, and breathing is all reflexive. And so if there's absence of movement, it's a reflexive pattern. So you automatically think there's some kind of neurologic impairment or there could be some neurologic impairment. Anyway, this baby, you need to contact the doctor and the physician involved and make sure that they know, look, this baby isn't eating. And normally at that point, the doctors get you involved anyway because why else would you be there if the baby isn't eating? But that's all abnormal, dysfunctional. So that's using the NOMAS, the neonatal oral motor assessment scale. That's one way to sort of look at disorganized versus dysfunctional. You don't have to use this assessment. There are others that you can use. And like I said, then also just using your own what you know about normal versus abnormal. But it's important to look at dysfunctional versus disorganized. That's going to tell you how you are define how you're going to work on your feeding plan and what you're going to do for this baby and what you're going to treat. So you need to make sure you understand what's dysfunctional versus disorganized because it changes how you're going to write your plan of care. Another thing that I like to use a lot is the NIDCAP. And the NIDCAP is a Newborn Individualized Developmental Care and Assessment Program, NIDCAP. It was developed by Heidi Alls and Gretchen Lawhorn a while back, and it's used in a lot of neonatal intensive care units, a lot of NICUs. But a NIDCAP does some great things. It tells you a lot about just the overall baby and if they're ready to eat or not eat by looking at some various systems. So when you're using the NIDCAP, in my situation, I use the NIDCAP a lot because I was trained in that. But basically what you really want to look at for the infant is their autonomic system, their motor system, and their state system. And so I'm referencing the NIDCAP because these are all part of the NIDCAP training and part of the NIDCAP assessment. As long as you understand these systems, you can look at this whether you're NIDCAP trained or not. Okay, so for the autonomic system, which is first, you're looking at the respirations of the baby and the color. Are they pink? Are they pale? Are they jaundice? Are they splotchy red in places, pale in places, blue? Hopefully they're not blue. That's bad. Look at the baby's color. And then the respiration patterns. You've got to look at the baby's respiration patterns and what's happening with their breathing. Is it 
fast, slow? Is it sporadic? Is it, you know, what's what's happening with the baby's breathing? Is Again, is there nasal flaring? Usually if they're breathing really fast and working real hard, there's a lot of nasal flaring. Also, they can get pale around the lips and blue around the lips too. So that's very important to assess that. You want to look at their motor systems. You want to look at their extremities and their trunk. So what are their hands doing? Are they flaccid? Are their fingers splayed? Are their arms straight out with their fingers splayed and like tight? Or are they flaccid and limp? Or are they curled up next to them like under their chin or on their chest or something? And there's tone there and holding their hands and arms in. What are they doing? So also in the trunk, you want to assess if they're squirming or if their trunk's staying pretty still. All of that needs to be assessed. You want to look at their state. So look at the different states. Some of them are sleep state. If they're in a nice deep sleep or a light sleep, if they're in a transition state, which is a drowsy state between sleep and the awake state when they're awake, ready to eat, not fussing or crying, but the next turns in the active state when they are not crying, but they're fussy, they're awake in that state, they're kind of moving to a crying, or the last state is crying when they're just, you know, intense crying, or they could be rhythmic crying. You've seen some babies where they'll just make the same kind of crying noise rhythmically over and over, you know, ah, 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 like that over and over and over again. And so you want to note if it's intense crying, like what you would consider baby, normal baby crying, or maybe like a rhythmical cry. I don't know how else to describe it, but that, but that's also state six for crying. If the baby's in that state, they're not ready to eat. If they're in a nice, you know, deep sleep, they're not ready to eat. So you need to assess where the baby is so then you can assess how to help them get to the right, nice, alert state so they're ready to eat because that's the state you really want. You want a nice, alert state, good color, easy respirations before they're starting to eat, nice breathing pattern, pink color with them alert active, not crying, not drowsy. This is the ideal state. And then also their body's real still. There's nice tone in their trunk. It's real still. Their hands and arms usually are curled in. That's a nice state ready to eat. But the baby could be crying ahead, which means they're ready to eat and they're hungry. And so there's nothing wrong with that either, as long as they can kind of get to that alert state quickly as soon as they start eating. So anyway, those are the states you want to look at. And the NIDCAP really helps you assess where the baby is and what's happening with the baby's body to assess all three of those states. So before you start actually feeding the baby, you want to look at their environment. You want to look at the lighting. You want to look at the noise in the room. If there's really bright light, lots and lots of noise, that really may affect the baby's state if they're able to get into an alert, active state, ready to eat. You also want to look at the schedule. I always ask, how often is the baby eating? How much are they eating at each feeding, who's feeding the baby, where are they eating, what are the lights like, what's happening there in the environment. I always check that, and I always ask the arousal state of the baby at each feeding. Are you having to wake the baby up? Are they waking up themselves? If they are crying at first when the feeding starts, do they quiet and get ready to eat? You know, are they able to maintain an alert state throughout the entire feeding. So I ask all of that throughout the whole feeding. And it's vitally important for preemies to assess the environment in which they're fed. And sometimes you can make a huge difference and get a baby from a disorganized feeder to a normal functional feeder just by changing the environment. So sometimes just sort of decreasing the lights, swaddling the baby, decreasing the noise, they get that just calms them right down and that's all they need. And they can be in very normal feeder. So I've seen that happen too. So don't 
discount the environment. And that's the first thing I look at. And I usually ask the parents lots and lots and lots of questions revolving around that in my first feeding session. And I try to, if at all possible, feed the baby in the home versus in a clinic. You may be in a situation where you can't go to the home, but if you can, I'd usually try to do that so I can sort of see the environment in which the baby's in. And sometimes I can make some pretty good changes, and other times I can't do as much. But usually there's always some kind of modification or changes I can make without having to disrupt the entire family. So but I start there, and I also don't go in and like, this won't work. you got to change this. you got to do that. I do it with common sense. You know, if this is the youngest baby of five children, and the, for example, the mom or the dad's at home all day with all those kids, you might not be able to close the door and shut out all five of the other five kids or four other kids. You might have to just sort of do some modifications. So, you know, that might be a good time to put on like a little short little TV program for the other kids. They're okay with that. Or, you know, it's a quiet activity for the other kids so the baby can be fed during that time period. I don't know. That's just an example. So, do what makes sense for you there. And the biggest thing to think about in that situation is common sense and also just being respectful of the family and the situation that they have. And not every situation's ideal. I've never run into an ideal situation. I personally have never had an ideal situation. And so I only get my own house. And so, you know, it's life and we got to roll with it. And babies are pretty tough. So, you know, sometimes a few little modifications make a huge difference. It doesn't have to be completely pitch black dark and the baby completely swaddled just perfectly every single time. But, you know, sometimes just dimming the lights or moving to one corner of the room make make all the difference in the world. So... There you go. So now maybe a good time to go ahead and talk about aspiration and what a baby looks like when they could be aspirating. That's something you're definitely going to assess during the feeding, of course, but let's just go ahead and point out those warning signs now, and then we'll get into more treatment strategies in just a second. So a baby, when they're aspirating, now think about like this, think about from the baby's perspective. So if and the child that you're working with may have never had experienced normal swallowing. So if you have been working with adults and they've had a stroke or an injury or something and they were had normal feeding swallowing skills, they had an injury and now there's abnormal feeding swallowing skills, they know what normal is. So for them, you know, their body's going to react if they have something that goes down in their lungs, they're going to cough and they're going to, you know, sputter or their eyes are going to get red, their face is going to get red. And that should be a very abnormal thing for their body to have something going to their lungs, aspiration. For a baby who's never had normal, might not be the same reaction. So you may not see the coughing or the gagging or the sputtering and the red face. You may not have any reaction. So here's some red flags if the baby's aspirating. Increased congestion. There could be coughing, could be excessive drooling. A lot of times I don't see that, though, but I do see increased congestion. The baby can be irritable, refusal to eat. Babies are smart, and they don't do what doesn't feel right. And so a lot of times if the baby's refusing to eat, sometimes those babies that are not wanting to really latch onto the nipple and they'll have their mouth open real wide and you'll be trying to feed it, you'll start trying to feed them, and they're just never really latching on and eating, they could be aspirating. I'm not saying they are, but they could be. A lack of being alert, a lack of getting to that alert state, that could be another red flag of aspiration. A baby with reflux, you should always consider aspiration because the baby with reflux could be aspirating what they're refluxing. Poor weight gain or weight loss could be a sign of aspiration. Poor oral motor coordination, weakness, any of that could be a baby who could be aspirating. You know, if the baby, when they're crying, listen to their cry. If they don't have a nice 
really normal, healthy, loud cry, there could be some vocal fold paralysis, and that baby would automatically be at risk for aspiration because, like we learned last time in the last podcast, one of the safety mechanisms is the vocal folds close. That protects the airway during the swallow, but if the baby has been intubated, they could have some vocal fold paralysis, and their protection is gone. So listen to the baby cry. If they have a whispery or a raspy sound when they cry or not a real hard, loud cry, it could be some vocal paralysis. And a lot of times you'll see that in babies who were intubated. So think about that. All those are signs of possible aspiration, but you need to look for it. A lot of times babies, like I said, are not coughing and they don't have the same signs that an adult would have. Their normal is different than another person who's experienced normal feeding has had. So their aspiration signals aren't the same as everybody else. Okay. So treatment strategies. The first thing we're going to look for is the environment, like I said. Usually when a, like a brand new baby, I don't really have the lights full on. I have the lights dimmed or it could be dark, but you want to assess the darkness level because you do want the baby to understand nighttime sleep, daytime awake. Parents probably would appreciate that also. So I don't usually have it full dark during the day because it's not dark in the day, it's light. But I'll have the lights turned down and I'll make sure that, for example, there's not a light shining right in the baby's face and that kind of thing. So I just usually dim the lights in the daytime. Then at nighttime, it's usually dark. Eye contact, you just don't want to have a lot of eye contact with babies when they're eating at first. They may not be able to handle it. So sometimes that eye contact is just too much and they can't handle it and you'll see them get very, very, very disorganized. So I usually tell the parents, if I think the baby's very disorganized, I usually tell the parents, no eye contact when you're eating or decrease the noise, not a lot of talking, just not a lot of visual stim or auditory stimulation. You also want to decrease and assess sort of the background noise. If you've got a lot of dogs barking, a lot of maybe things banging, or loud noise, if you can put the dogs outside when the baby's eating, if you can sort of decrease some of that loud, real loud banging or running around when the baby's eating, that's very helpful, especially for premature babies. And then also, you just want to tell like an insecure parent, think of if the first baby you've ever had is a premature infant. You, number one, as a parent, don't know what normal is anyway, because this is your first baby. And you're hyper alert to everything anyway, because it's your first baby. So you're a little bit freaked out because it's your first baby, just to put it bluntly, you're freaked out. So the first thing you want to do is you want to reassure the parents, because really, they are the expert on that child. I don't care what kind of letters you have behind your name. I don't care how long you've been doing this. When it comes to that baby, those parents are the expert, because it's their baby. So you just want to reassure them and say, look, you got this. And they do have this. They'll be fine. But you just want to assess that as well. So sometimes um, a parent just feeling very, very insecure and really not sure exactly how to best handle their baby or they feel like they might hurt them or doing something like that. Sometimes you just got to help them get over the hump. I usually show parents how to swaddle the babies up and I'll usually for a preterm or babies just born, I'll always swaddle the baby. So that's kind of assessing the environment and things to look for. But that's the first thing you do. Look at the environment, look at what's happening, that kind of stuff. Because you really want to get that baby to a nice alert state so that they're ready to eat. And you want to have normal respirations, normal color, alert state, not a lot of excessive movement by the arms and feet, not a lot, um, sort of some good trunk control and trunk stability. And swaddling the infant, even if they're a full-term infant, really helps provide all that motor system some good stability. So that's usually where I'll start. And a lot of times I'll hear people say, oh, well, let's unwrap them because we got to wake them up and get them ready to eat. 
sometimes it works the opposite. Sometimes swaddling that baby will help them get alert because if they're worried about what their hands and their feet are doing and they don't feel very secure, then they're going to probably at least close their eyes and try to move to a state where they feel more comfortable. So they may either go back to sleep or they may start crying and they're not going to get to the alert state. So if you take care of the trunk and the feet for the baby by swaddling them up, then they can focus on feeding. Because remember, that's the hardest thing they do all day. So you want to take away all the extraneous everything else, noise, light, movement, and just let the baby focus on eating. So that's the first thing I do. And that's the first thing I assess. And then that's the first usually treatment strategy I give is that. So we start there. The second thing is equipment. And if you're feeding an infant, your equipment is a bottle. So I'm not as picky on the actual bottle. I'm not talking about the nipple now. I'm talking about the bottle as I am the nipple. Now, I like the regular, old-fashioned, or not old-fashioned, whatever you call them, it doesn't matter, regular nipples. I don't like the kind that have the bulb on the end or the larger, flatter ones. I just like the regular, like, nipples. And the reason I like that, because it gives nice input to the tongue, encourages that central tongue grooving, encourages that anterior-posterior tongue movement. It doesn't require the mouth, the lips to be overly open, overly too much and and just also encourages nice jaw excursion and movement. So I just like the nice regular old-fashioned nipples. Now sometimes you'll see the ones that are red that they use for preemies. The flow's a little faster. It's a little easier to get liquid out of those nipples. Those are fine for preemies and babies who are just out of the hospital, but usually I move them off that red nipple onto a regular brown, or sometimes the silicone ones are clear nipple pretty fast. There's lots and lots and lots of bottles you can use with those, so I'm not as picky about that as I am the actual nipple. If I go in and I see a family with a bulb-type nipple, I don't say, oh, I hate this. I just will ask, hey, is there a reason you're using this one, and have you ever thought about using this other one. So I'll try to get them on the one with the nipple that's a little bit more straight and narrow. And usually they don't have a problem switching, but if they do, then I go with it. Because you know what? Again, they're a baby. So I go with it. Some people say, oh, well, you've got to match the nipple and the pacifier. Not necessarily. It's the pacifier. They're doing a non-nutritive suck. They're not doing like they do a regular suck with the bottle. So if the baby is stuck on one certain kind of pacifier and it's different than the bottle nipple, I'll go with it. If I can match them, I will. But if the baby's already sort of made a choice about that pacifier, sometimes, you know, you're, you can't switch it. And it's more important for the baby to soothe themselves with a pacifier than for me to switch the pacifier. So I won't switch it if that's the case. So first thing off, the nipples. Now, I don't ever encourage enlarging the hole of the nipple or cross-cutting the nipple or changing really the way the liquid flows out of the nipple at all. I either get a fast-slow nipple or a slow-flow nipple. Say that 10 times. And I'll, by the packaging that the nipple comes with, I'll just go with that. And so that's what I stick with. But I don't ever enlarge the hole or cross-cut a nipple ever or cut the end off of it. I've seen all kinds of things happen. I don't ever do that because it messes up the whole flow of the liquid out of the nipple and it sets the baby up for possible aspiration because the liquid can flow too fast in the mouth. They can't control the liquid and you'll either see a lot of liquid coming out of the mouth whether spit it out or potentially they could aspirate. So if you notice the baby when they're eating, if when they swallow each time like liquid kind of like flying out the side of the mouth, you know, it's like squirting out the side of the mouth. You want to, first thing I do is take the bottle out of the baby's mouth and look at that nipple. See if they've enlarged the hold or cross-cut it. And sometimes they have, and if they have, then I stop and I change it out to a nipple that hasn't been altered at all because the baby's having trouble controlling the flow of the liquid. And that's probably a good treatment strategy to start with because it's an easy fix and it's easy to identify. If you see liquid coming out of the baby's mouth, like 
spurting out of the baby's mouth, they're having trouble controlling the flow of that liquid. So that's an automatic dysfunctional feeding baby, and you need to pace them. So that's the third thing. You have to assess, is this baby dysfunctional or disorganized? And the first type of treatment strategies I want to talk about are disorganized treatment strategies. So if the baby is disorganized and they're, like the first thing we said, the liquid's coming out of the front of the mouth, then you want to slow the flow down a little bit. So you want to count. You want to see, if the, is the baby doing one-to-one-to-one, to one to one, one suck, one swallow, one breath? Or what are they doing? I bet you money, if they're spurting liquid out of the front of their mouth, then they're not got a one-to-one-to-one ratio. And I bet you money, they've got like a bunch of sucks, like six, seven, eight, nine, then swallow, 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 and then a long breath pattern. Sometimes babies aren't even able to like pause long enough because the liquid's coming out of the nipple so fast, they can't even pause to breathe long enough. And you'll see a baby there who will shut down the feeding pretty quick because it's dangerous and they're not going to do what doesn't feel right. So keep that in mind. That's an easy one to fix is the flow of the nipple. So the next thing we can talk about is if we're still on the dysfunctional feeder. Okay, so the tongue. If there's no central tongue grooving, sometimes there's central tongue grooving, sometimes there's good jaw movement that's rhythmical and coordinated, and then other times they're not. I'm not talking about a flaccid tongue. I'm not talking about a munching, like babies open and close their mouth really, really wide every single time. I'm talking about where sometimes the babies get a nice central tongue groove, and sometimes you see rhythmical jaw excursions and opening and closing, but sometimes you don't. So sometimes they get that suck, swallow, breathe pattern down, and then they'll lose it, and they'll get it, and they'll lose it, and they'll get it, and they'll lose it. So for those babies, again, a lot of pacing's involved. So you really want to count how many sucks, how many swallows, and then how long is that breath period. And if it's not one-to-one-to-one, then you want to pace that baby. Some of the ways you can pace the baby is you can count, again, like I said, and then you can either take the nipple out of the mouth, so one-one-one, um, one suck, one swallow, one breath, or you can count, usually I'll let them go all the way to like three sucks. One, two, three, and then I'll either take the nipple out of the baby's mouth and replace it with a pacifier, or I'll take the nipple out of the mouth, or I'll just kind of tilt the baby up. So the head kind of comes up and the liquid runs at the bottom of the bottle, and they might be getting a little bit of air, but they really don't get that much air that it causes a huge problem. So they'll just tilt the baby up a little bit so that then they stop themselves swallow, breathe, and when they have had a breath pattern enough that I know that they're pink again, there's no nasal flaring, they're not white around the lips or blue around the lips, they look very pink and normal, then I'll lay them back down and we'll start again. And so I'll watch, and so I'll do one, two, three. If they're not stopping, I'll just move their little body so their head's up and their feet kind of are down so the liquid again runs to the bottom of the bottle. And that's an easy, easy thing to show parents. And boy, that'll make you look like a genius quick. I'm just going to tell you, when you really, you're not doing that much. You're just pacing the baby. But that takes a baby. Sometimes a lot of those preemies, you will see them doing suck, 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 swallow, 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 and then short little breathing pattern or suck, and then really by the time they get to that suck pattern, there's all kinds of nasal flaring. Their little nose is white, their lips are all white, you see the color, and you see a lot of body movement then, and that baby doesn't last long. So it's easy to pace a baby, and that's a quick, easy way for a disorganized baby to get paced 
normally. And so like when I'm assessing the tongue and the jaw, if I'm not seeing normal regular movements with that, a lot of pacing will just fix that problem very quickly. So those are some quick strategies. If the baby is moving their tongue from a central groove to tongue humping in the back and you don't see them sort of stay with that central groove pattern, another thing that I do is with the non-nutritive sucking, I'll do a lot of the non-nutritive sucking before the feeding. One thing I'll do is I'll take the nipple of a bottle and I'll put my finger inside the nipple of the bottle. I'll give them some jaw support with my thumb and then I'll really kind of do like put my finger in the nipple and put my finger on their tongue and really help facilitate that central tongue grooving. But I give jaw support because a lot of times that baby, especially preemies who don't have those big fat pads, so they don't have the cheeks to provide the support. They need something to provide the support. So my thumb under the bony part of the jaw will help provide that support so that I can really help encourage that central tongue grooving. And I do that with a non-nutritive suck so they can work on that movement before we go to the nippling. And then sometimes the middle of the bottle feeding, if they're alert and awake enough, then I can do it again about the middle of the feeding to remind them again, oh yeah, this is how I do it. And a little bit of that goes a long way. So they don't have the parents do that before every feeding. And if they're alert enough throughout the whole feeding, then again, like I say, the middle of the feeding, just for like a minute or two, it doesn't have to be too long, just a minute or two, you're kind of reminding the baby again, and oh yeah, and then they go back to that again. You can also do all this when you're breastfeeding too. Same thing works. So that's what I'll do if their tongue is not staying in that central groove, and if there's poor jaw excursions. Another thing I'll do for poor jaw excursions is a lot of disorganization and the jaws opening and closing in different rates and different amounts every single time is I will provide jaw support. So I'll put my hand under the bony part of the jaw when they're nippling, not to close the jaw tight or anything, just to provide a base of support because if the cheeks aren't giving any support, again, that jaw needs some support so that tongue can do what it needs to do. So I'll just provide some support so I can sort of regulate how much the jaw is opening and closing again and keeping that tongue so it's moving anterior and posterior and really I'm doing the job of the cheeks but so for a preemie who was born without any fat pads somebody needs to do the jaw of the cheeks but watch that because a lot of times I'll see people doing that on and on and on for every baby they ever go to feed they'll put their hand underneath their jaw and that's not a fix for every single baby all the time so really assess how much that jaw is moving and if you need to do that. There's a lot of places we could go in this podcast with infant feeding problems and treatment strategies. And really, honestly, there's about 10 different podcasts that could follow this one. So what I want to do next is talk about a couple of big main problems that I see frequently. We've talked about a few so far, but I just want to go over a couple of big ones. And then in future podcasts, we'll hone in and do more specific on specific treatment issues and strategies and that kind of thing. So first is if a baby is hypotonic lack of tone. They might have trouble waking up. We've talked about that with environmental support. They also may be slow to eat. It may take them a long time to get through a bottle. They may fall asleep partway through the bottle. Just a lot, a lot of tone and not a lot of maybe poor alert state. So for some of those babies, I'll start with the whole non-nutritive suck to start with to kind of get them in the whole like correct pattern. I will give them a lot of cheek and jaw support. So I'll put my hand underneath the bony part of the jaw and put my first finger and my thumb on each cheek and then the middle part of the hand in between my first finger and my thumb under the bony part of the jaw and I'll just sort of squeeze their cheeks. I'm doing as I'm talking. Sort of squeeze their cheeks forward. A lot of times these are preemies who don't have a lot of fat pad material. I'll also use a regular firm nipple, like that long nipple that I like, the regular nipple, and then I'll work on a lot of environmental control to decrease a lot of noise and that kind of thing. 
Now, the opposite is the hypertonicity, the infant with a lot more tone. This baby may be really fussy, crying a lot, just more tone. And so you may see less wide jaw excursion, a lot more clenching of the jaw. A lot of times this baby is flattening the nipple. So again, I'll give some jaw support because you wouldn't think you would need a lot of jaw support for a clenching baby, but the jaw may be weak and the tongue may be weak. And so because of that, they're not open in the jaw very much. They're kind of staying real tight together because you can liken it to if you sort of feel like maybe the bottom's going to fall out if you don't have a lot of muscle and control. So you don't want to open too much. So you give some jaw support. I don't give as much cheek support with these babies, just more jaw support. And I don't really hold it closed. I just give it a firm base. Regular nipple, like I said before, and then for the babies who are flattening the nipple, I'll just usually pull back on the nipple when they're eating sometimes, sort of to give a little resistance, and then I'll look at the bubbles. Look at the bubbles in the milk. If you're getting bubbles in the milk, then they're getting liquid out, but be really careful. Some of these babies, you think, oh man, this baby's going to town. He's taking this bottle like no business, but then you pull the bottle out to burp the baby, and like there's nothing. There's nothing gone. You got to make sure you're getting bubbles in the formula, and that means they're taking the formula. A lot of these babies will swaddle because they don't need to worry about what their legs and their arms and their trunk is doing. Swaddle these babies so they can really focus on the feeding. And a lot of these babies have a really weak jaw and tongue. And so even though they're hypertonicity, it doesn't mean they have some strong jaw or tongue muscles. Suck, swallow, breathe coordination. We've talked a little bit about that. I do a lot of pacing. I count how many sucks, how many swallows before a breathing pause, um, and then I'll pace them. We've already talked about ways to pace a baby. So, and I'll also environmental control, um, decrease the lights, decrease the noise, swaddle the baby. And for these babies, I don't use a real fast flow nipple. I use a slower flow nipple so that they're not getting so much out at one time because they really can't control too much formula coming out at one time in their mouth. You want to make sure that the formula is not so fast that they can't control the flow. For some babies who have poor suck initiation, that's another issue. This baby might be opening their mouth on the nipple, but not really closing and orienting their mouth to the nipple to start sucking on the nipple. First, you got to look at environment again and the infant state. So are they in an alert state or not? Are they in an active state where they're going to fussy or crying? A lot of times these babies are really fussy and crying so they don't latch on the nipple. So I'll start with a non-nutritive suck. Watch this one. A lot of times these babies can non-nutritive suck till the day is long by the or rock and rolling with the pacifier you think you give them the bottle and they don't close and latch onto the bottle. So with these babies, think about reflux. It's one of the first things I think about with them because babies don't do what doesn't feel right. So ask a lot of reflux questions to the parents. Are they throwing up? Do they throw up a lot after they eat? During they eat? How often are they throwing up? Also, think milk allergy maybe with this baby because there may be some kind of underlying medical issue why they won't really latch on and take the bottle very well. Or maybe this baby also loses interest when they're halfway through the feeding. They're still fussy. They're still crying. They act like they're hungry, but they're not really wanting to keep sucking and keep the initiation of the feeding going and stuff. So there could be a medical issue. If they're experiencing reflux while they eat, they're not going to do what doesn't feel right. Or if their tummy is hurting because if there's a milk allergy, then they're associating, well, every time I eat, my tummy hurts. I mean, they're not thinking of it like that, but basically they're associating those two things together. They're not going to want to eat. So there may be an underlying medical issue that needs to get resolved first with a pediatrician before you can really do too much. And a lot of times if that medical issue is cleared up, then they can eat and eat like a champ. 
Now, poor central tongue grooving. We've talked about that one already a little bit in this podcast, but again, I use the regular nipple and I use a proprioceptive input, which is basically my finger in the nipple and I stroke down and forward on the tongue to really encourage that central tongue grooving. And again, like I said earlier, I give some jaw support. I just wanted to mention that one again because it's a very common problem I see in disorganized feeders. I also see it in dysfunctional feeders, but it's a lot more involved in dysfunctional feeders, and you're dealing with a whole host of different issues with them if there's neurologic impairment there. But a disorganized feeder is pretty easy to get corrected with a lot of that central tongue grooving, a lot of that proprioceptive input and jaw support. And I teach the parents how to do that too before I do the feeding. Tongue tip elevation. So a lot of times I'll see babies who put their tongue at the top of their mouth and they'll lock it in and good luck moving that down. A lot of times these babies are preemies and you've got to do a lot of environmental support and you need to look at the rest of their body. A lot of times, so they're kind of like protecting their airway or protecting themselves and they're like, mm, you're not going to get anything in this mouth. And so I'll swaddle those babies, I turn down the lights, decrease the noise, and a lot of times you'll see that tongue fall right down, and they'll get to be great little feeders. But those babies, a lot of times, are more preemie than other babies, and so really a lot of environmental and body and swaddling and all that kind of stuff. I also work on state regulation, trying to really get them to a nice alert state. And I do a lot of non-nutritive sucking at first, not too long, because you don't want to wear these poor little people out. But I'll also give them some jaw support and maybe also a little cheek support. This is very, 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 very common in preemies. And also even some full-term infants who maybe had some kind of, I don't know, not trauma so much that trauma that they had something like they were without oxygen or not something so traumatic that it was major a major medical event, but something happened that they feel a little less safe when they're eating. These babies also a lot of times when they're breastfeeding, some of these babies, they'll do that tongue tip elevation. They'll also clamp down real hard on the nipple, and so, so for whatever reason, they're just protecting their airway or protecting themselves, it seems like. So you really got to help them feel safe. And that regular nipple is really great for that because it encourages that central tongue grooving. You really want to get them into a nice, safe, uh, suck, swallow, breathe pattern. Sometimes some pacing is really good for those babies. So really watch those babies who are also protecting their airway by lifting their tongue up because they really need some pacing. So there you go. Also, another thing I do is like I elicit the root reflex by stroking the cheek, and that will sometimes cause them to turn their head and want to latch onto the nipple too. So use that rooting reflex. That helps a whole lot in your favor. Those are some common treatment problems and strategies, as well as how to assess, what to assess, what to look for. That's basically what we just talked about. So I just wanted to do a little quick review. In the future, we will do podcasts on dysfunctional feeders and then other specific treatment problems and assessments and assessments and how to assess for certain treatment problems and then what to do. Like We didn't even talk about cleft lip and palate in this podcast, and those are some of my all-time most favorite people, so and love that stuff. So we will do podcasts in the future on that, but if you missed the podcast we did right before this one, go back and listen because that sets you up for the future ones because it's normal anatomy and physiology for infants and feeding. This one talked about assessments and then some of the most common treatment problems and strategies. So we will go from there. So I enjoyed spending time with everyone today talking about Infant feeding is one of my favorite topics, and I love, I just love all this kind of stuff. It's just 
fun. Anyway, um, and infants are fun. They're just it's a good time. If you get to feed babies in a day, that's never a bad day. So thanks, everybody, for listening. I enjoyed it, and I'll catch you on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 